The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another live edition of the Work-Life Balance here on another Friday. And I'm coming to you live from El Paso, Texas. In the room with me right now is 3,000 project managers. Let them hear you. We're so excited to be coming to you today. We're actually finishing off our professional development day here, and we've, we have just been graced by royalty all day. For those of you that are longtime listeners of mine, actually got a chance to have dinner and spend time with number two, that, that's not his nickname, but number two in PMI, one of the founding fathers, Jim Snyder. So we've had a fantastic day today. We've had tons of presentations, and now the audience wanted to hear us do this show live and I've got an extremely special guest to me that we're going to be introducing. Now, I was in the Leadership Institute Master's class in, in 2010. That's where we got the opportunity to meet. And this guy, I just can't even wait to tell you what he does. So the, the message today is going to be leadership lessons from the CIA. But I want to bring on Michael Obrachta. And, Michael, you've got kind of a unique nickname. Tell me who you really are. Hey, Rick, thanks for having me here today. Yes, I did work at the CIA. and. And yes, there is a bit of a nickname associated with the job I did for the first 10 years. And I'm going to give you the answer to your question about what the nickname was, but I want to make you work for it a little bit. And I want the audience to work a little bit, too. So audience, think to yourselves for a moment about the most popular series of spy movies of all time. What series am I thinking of? James Bond, of course. And in that series of spy movies, the James Bond character, what did he do? Well, he drove fast cars, special fast cars. He shot very special guns. He uh, drank very special martinis. He used very special gadgets, and he spent some time with some special women. So for the first 10 years of my life at the CIA, I absolutely was not James Bond. (laughs) It's a shame I can't tell you more about that than that. But where did James Bond get those gadgets, guns, cars, and maybe martinis from? And the answer is he got them from Q. So my scope of work for the first 10 years, I was Q. I did everything that James Bond needed except for the women part. I didn't do that. <laughs> I was cute. So at the, pro- at the CIA, project management was how Q went about delivering all these gadgets, guns, cars. So we are talking to the real life Q right here, right now. And, you know, I expected you to be older. 
but uh, not as much, right? So we, uh, one of the things I always have to ask Michael every time I see him, and if, see if he'll oblige the question now, can you tell me who killed Kennedy, man? I'll tell you that, but you know, the follow-up is a penalty if I tell you, and it, it's not going to be pretty. No, we're not going to find out who killed Kennedy today. But would you tell us about maybe one or two of the ones that you can talk about, maybe a couple of your favorite projects from the CIA? I'll tell you about a couple projects. So uh, many of us get to travel these days. Sometimes it's on pleasure. And uh, some of those pleasure trips may involve a trip to Washington, D.C. And I certainly recommend that as a destination to you. Uh, Smithsonian museums are beautiful. They're free to go to. It's a great use of your time while on vacation. While you're there, I suggest you might want to stop at another museum, the Spy Museum. Okay? If you stop there, you're going to be thrilled with all sorts of gadgets and projects related to spying. And I want you to know that two of my projects are in the Spy Museum. And you can't tell us which ones. I'll tell you, I'll tell you about one of them. Now, none of the projects have names on the placards, okay? So the story I'm going to tell you is true, but there's no way you can go to the Spy Museum and verify that. So you're just going to have to trust me on this one. In 1983, this is a period of time when the United States is worried quite a bit about our mortal enemy, the Soviet Union. Nonetheless, at times, our two countries have to come together and agree on something. 1983 was one of those times. The Soviets wanted a new embassy built in Washington, D.C. for themselves, and we, the United States, wanted a new embassy built in Moscow. So the agreement was reached. Our State Department negotiated the following agreement. The Soviets would come to Washington, D.C., and using their own labor and their own materials, build their own embassy. In exchange, the Soviets, using their own labor and own materials, would build our embassy in Moscow. (laughs) Now, there is some audience laughter going on at this point, and I suggest I know the reason why. While the Soviets were building our embassy in Washington, D.C., the potential arose in the mind of the U.S. State Department, who's managing this project, the potential arose uh, for the embassy to be bugged. Now, do you think the Russians could have possibly been bugging the embassy for us while they're building it? That's the project that I got involved with. About a two or three years had gone by. Uh, the embassy has uh, uh, floors and steel beams on this seven-story building. And the State Department comes to the CIA and says, uh, hey, you know, we've kind of been thinking about this. Uh, do you think they're bugging it? And uh, this question ultimately gets ha- handed over to the section of the CIA I work in. This is the section, remember, Q, a lot of technology, a lot of projects, right? The number one answer when you ask someone on the side of the CIA that does the projects, the number one answer we give is, more technology. So, sure, it's being bugged, and the answer you need to hear is, for a large sum of money, we'll develop some special technology to find the bugs. Go to the Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. You'll see a section of a piece of the embassy that was bugged. 
And as you can see, uh, why it's so fascinating to have Michael with us and, and share some stories. And, you know, we, we try to get more out of you. But one of the things that we want to, to talk about today is leadership. And I think, you know, leadership is certainly one of the biggest things that I think a lot of companies struggle with. And I'd love to hear compares and contrasts between what you know in the private sector and what leadership was like in the CIA. Favorite topic of mine. And I'll do it with another story, if I may. Um, so the project I related to you about uh, building some special equipment, taking the equipment to Moscow, and finding bugs in a building, all right, that story really is about a project. Right? And, and my job as Q was really about projects. And it turns out the CIA was one of the earliest adopters in the U.S. government for project management. So here I am, young, arrogant, developing projects in a place that's quite mature. And I'm making success after success after success until I reach a certain point. And that's when the point when the projects become a little complex and a little risky and I'm no longer succeeding like I used to. And I cannot figure out why. It turns out the answer was I didn't understand the value of leadership or the role of leadership in project management. Now I want to hop ahead 20 years. I'm no longer naive and young and inexperienced. I'm still quite arrogant, I would admit, but I got experience. And the CIA comes to me again and says, Mike, this next project we want you to look at is changing the way everyone in the CIA manages projects. How the heck am I going to do that? We have thousands of project managers in the CIA. How am I going to change the way they manage projects? And the answer, of course, I'm leading up to is by realizing that leadership is a required competency for project success for all but the simplest, lowest complexity projects. So that's when the light bulb went off. If I'm going to change the way project management is practiced in the CIA, I am going to develop a program, a set of standards, and a set of practices that include leadership as a required competency. Thank you for sharing that with us. And we're going to get ready to go on break here in just a second. While we're on break, though, we're going to be polling our live audience to get some leadership questions that they would love to have answered by Michael or myself, and and we'll poll those and and get those to you. Um, And coming up, uh, of course, interact with me on Twitter at Rick A. Morris. Go find uh, us on Facebook or LinkedIn. We'd love to hear your questions, and certainly you have the opportunity to dial into the show as well if you've got a question for the Real Live Q. So you're listening to Rick Morris with the Work-Life Balance. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. 
That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other, where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage, where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end -end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back. Thank you so much for hanging on with us as we're coming to you live from the Professional Development Day here in El Paso, Texas. It's a very young chapter, but a very excitable chapter, and we've had a great time here. Uh, we've actually been talking to the real-life queue, and, and we polled some questions while we were on break, and so I'm just going to start throwing them Michael's way, and let's see how he handles those. But one of the first ones, and, and I know we had a couple of conversations you know, yesterday and today about this, but obviously... Right now, with the current political climate, and we're watching this whole thing unfold in the United States between the FBI director who was fired, Mr. Comey, and, of course, President Trump, I think, uh, how do you correlate what you're hearing versus what you know is your oaths and, and secrecies and things like that? I mean, how are you reacting to, to some of the news that's coming through? Big question about current events. And, by the way, I want the audience to know that during the break, uh, the live audience here in the room asked me a lot of questions. And uh, it almost began to feel like a bit of an interrogation. And I just want to suggest uh, I'm more comfortable being on the other end doing the interrogating, wouldn't you know? So, Rick, your question is about the current political environment, and I'm going to answer that from two perspectives. So I did spend a career at the CIA, and I was in a top-secret position my whole career, and I signed secrecy agreements my whole career, which I am still bound by. Okay. So in my world, even if you came close to violating a secrecy agreement, there were huge consequences to me. All right. uh, what it seems to be happening in the public today is there seems to be more of a acceptance for some people to release classified information and not be held accountable to the same standard that I am being held accountable for under my secrecy agreement. 
The other perspective for my answer comes from the fact that in PMI, I chair the ethics member advisory group. I am responsible for the ethical behavior of over a half a million PMI members. Our code of ethics has four basic values that we have to abide by in order to belong to PMI. One of those values is honesty. So I'm really struck in two negative ways when I hear a lot of the public discourse about releasing secrets or uh, telling stories that may not be entirely true. They absolutely violate the fiber of my profession. I'm supposed to be honest. And they violate the fiber of my professional background as a holder of secrets. I find that fascinating. Again, you and I have had several conversations about that over the last couple of days. And and as as we see this, it's not unlike you know regular project management and the people that are trying to sabotage things, the political games that are going on. Um, but I, I just... To be totally honest, it's very difficult for me to talk to my children and explain what is ethical behavior and what's not ethical behavior based on how the news is coming through every day. So we we find the struggle, and I appreciate your perspective on that. One of the questions that we got from the audience was uh, were, was the the issues. You know, what what kind of issues do you see in in between leadership, management, and things like that within the CIA? How do you resolve those? So leadership, management, and issues, CIA. Uh, I'm not sure the CIA has any unique issues in in this subject area. Uh, I've spent enough time consulting in enough other industries uh, to observe that uh, whatever issues the CIA might have had are pretty common elsewhere. Uh, The first uh, answer I'll give you, though, is the, the... the challenge for many organizations to recognize the value that leadership brings to the project management space. For example, uh, depending on uh, which uh, set of statistics you prefer to uh, refer to, uh, there are 30 or 40 project management certifications available to us around the world today. Uh, and certainly the ones from PMI are familiar, but there are many, many other organizations offering project management certification. So 30 or 40 choices available if we want to get certified. Rhetorical question, how many of those certifications in project management include required competencies in leadership? And the answer is one. One of the certifications in the world today requires project managers to be competent in leadership. The others, it's a subject absent from the certification. And I'm now going to tell you which organization offers project management certification where leadership is a required competency, and that's the U.S. federal government. In 2007, for the first time in the history of the U.S. federal government, civilian employees were given the opportunity to earn a government certification. I know a bit about this because I helped develop the certification for the U.S. government. And no surprise, leadership is a required competency. How did that come about? And I actually want to piggyback that uh, based on a conversation that we had last night, which I found fascinating. But I talk all the time about culture and organizational culture. And one of our big quotes that you and I both love is where John Maxwell says, culture will eat vision for lunch. 
but you shared a, a really cool anecdote last night about what the culture was like in the CIA around leadership. I'd love for you to, to tell the audience. Let's talk about culture. Here's why I consider it a subject as important as I consider leadership. At the end of the day, I was developing some pretty interesting products and services in the CIA. All right, you heard about one or two of them, perhaps. I spent a career developing a lot of interesting products and services. And over time, in order to do that, my budgets got bigger, my staff got bigger, you know, hundreds of people, millions of your taxpayer dollars. Thank you very much, by the way, for those. Okay. But at the end of the day, I realized my job was not to deliver products or services. My job wasn't to spend your money wisely. My job was to create an environment for project success to create a culture for project success. I realized that at the end of the day, I was in charge of managing and leading culture. Now, in the CIA, the workplace culture is a pretty interesting culture. There, the force of a good idea takes precedence over your rank, your pay grade, your title, your experience level, a force of a good idea rules today. In the CIA, if you're young and arrogant, like I was, if you're old and experienced, like I am now, you had an equal opportunity to raise your hand and say, I have a good idea, and they'll listen to you and oftentimes let you run with it. What a fantastically innovative, creative environment that is. Culture trumps Go ahead, Rick. Culture Trump's Trump. vision. vision. <laughs> It'll eat vision Every. for lunch. If you've got a vision, but supporting organization doesn't have a culture that's going to run it, then it's just not simply going to happen. And, and by the way, there's the people that I call their vision shaders. So they're the ones that'll come out and tell you about their vision. But behind the scenes, every move they make is counteractive to that culture. And so... I, you know, we see it, employees see it, everyone sees it, and it, it's something that becomes adaptable in the organization. I do have another question from the audience here, Michael. One of them wanted to ask you, did you ever do projects other than the embassy in the field? Yeah, so the life of a project manager in the CIA generally is a life behind a desk in an office in Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area, generally. But, but as we know from experience, if you, that's all you're doing, that means you're not close enough to your customer. And the customer in the CIA is the, the secret agent, the James Bond, the person in the field. So absolutely, I made many trips to the field to get to know my customer. And in a couple cases, I got to go on field operations. Would you like to hear a story about one of those field operations? Of course. Back to the Moscow story. Back to the embassy story. So we did develop technology to allow us to look inside concrete reinforced pillars on a building. Okay? The technology we developed involved exposing the column of the building to a radioactive source and collecting information on a detector. So we're essentially looking inside the column. And, and the technology involved 
spinning and rotating around the column to collect a whole series of radioactive images. Well, wouldn't you know it, today we call that a CAT scanner. The CIA took the earliest, earliest symptoms that were leading up to what we now know today as a CAT scanner. So the next time you're in a hospital and you're being medically diagnosed with a CAT scanner, you can thank the CIA for that. A related in the field story, our initial trip to use this CAT scanner in Moscow on the seven-story building with no walls, the initial trip took place in the middle of winter. During the construction phase of the building, the agreement that was negotiated was the workers employed by the Soviets would build the building during the day, and we would show up at night with our special equipment to inspect the building. And then we'd work on weekends as well. So we were not interfering with the construction. Um, in winter, in Moscow, at night, in a building with no walls, it's cold. <laughs> we were there for months at a time. It's cold. So during the days, we'd either sleep or I'd go for exercise runs. I've covered 50,000 miles in my lifetime running for exercise, some of those miles in Moscow. Well, what a beautiful opportunity to sightsee. Why not? You're there, run, sightsee. One of my running trips was through the Kremlin. For those of you that have not visited Moscow, the Kremlin is the equivalent of our capital and our Congress all rolled into one facility. It's a highly guarded facility with one entrance and one exit. I thought it'd be fun to run through the entrance into the Kremlin. As I'm running through the entrance, I'm listening to noises behind me, and there are loud shouting noises in a language I do not understand. And then I hear running noises, uh, people with boots running behind me, and I, I hear the rattling of some objects. I'm pretty sure they're automatic uh, machine guns. And so I have a decision to make, don't I? How do I respond to what could be a risky situation for me personally? And uh, did I ever mention the young and arrogant bit? Sure. So I just chose to run faster. I could outrun people with boots and guns any day of the week. Welcome to the field. And the uh, end of that story is after about seven years when we bailed Michael out, uh, he was able to run again at one point. So we're going to take another quick break here, and we're going to be right back live from El Paso talking to the Real Life Q. You're listening to The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end -end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, 
transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end -end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back in the Work-Life Balance, coming again live from El Paso. We've been spending time with the real-life Q, Michael Obrachta. We've already, if you're just joining us, you've missed some fascinating stories about running through the Kremlin, where the original CAT scan came from, all of these fun stories that's been sharing. So if you're just now joining, you definitely want to go back and, and catch the recording of this uh, show, which will be live on the page in about 24 hours from now. So coming back, we were fielding again questions from the audience, and, and one of the things that, that keeps coming up is, again, around the culture of the CIA. And while there's also, you know, normally some great ideas, the question was, did you have a great idea that, that was shot down, and did you have to really fight or push management in order to accept it? Yeah, great practical question. So, of course, uh, not every idea could be accepted at every moment in time. So this story takes place, again, back during those young, arrogant days when I'm serving as Q. I march into my boss's boss's boss, three levels up, and I tell him I got a great idea. For $100,000, I can run a new project, and I can get us an extra 3 dB of antenna gain. And I get the same look from my boss that I'm getting from this audience of 3,000 people right now. I'm going to look, huh? What are you talking about? In fact, it got worse than that. He said, oh, Brockta, don't ever come in here again with such a stupid idea. It's time for you to leave. So the lesson there for me was, okay, I was talking to him in technical speak. I was not making the business case. 
Well, the business of the CIA at that time, for me, was gadgets and spying. What I should have said, which is what I said when I went back a few months later when he finally granted me another audience, what I should have said was, look, Pat, our agents in the field are running tracking and locating operations. I'm the guy who's developing all the gadgets for tracking and locating. One of the gadgets I developed, which our agents use, is a transmitter that gets put underneath a vehicle with magnets. And that transmitter tracks where the vehicle goes. And it sends out a signal. And agents who are stationed around the city listen for the signal and can tell the location. This is many years before GPS, audience. And uh, so the signal has to escape from underneath a vehicle, which is the worst possible place to put an antenna. So which means we have to have agents all over that city. It takes a lot of agents to track a signal that doesn't transmit very far. So what I should have said was, for $100,000, I will double the range and I will allow us to have the number of agents who are taking their lives at risk by running around the city to track this signal. I got my $100,000. Again, it's, it's the way that we talk and the way that we communicate to our executives that becomes the paramount answer to how we get things done or approved. It is the way. So timing is everything, and the way you uh, phrase the uh, situation is everything. So we've learned now these days that we call that a business case, all right? Let me tell you a short story about timing, if I may. In order to sell these ideas, we put them in the executive speak and we make a business case, but we have to make the sales pitch at the right time. Later in my career is when I'm asked to take a look at the entire CIA and provide some feedback about how poorly or how well we are managing projects. Remember, we're an hourly adopter, so we're very mature at managing projects, but the question is still worth addressing. Is there anything we can do better? So I conduct a one-year study. And, of course, I find all sorts of opportunities for the CAA to improve in the way it manages projects, including aligning our program for the first time with PMI. We had been rolling our own up till then, and I was proposing we align our project management competencies, standards, and knowledge areas with PMI. So I go back in, I outline this huge change project for the CIA involving just thousands and thousands of people, and uh, I make my pitch, and the response I get was, Mike, that's absolutely what I was hoping you would say. I had a feeling we needed a big agency-wide change at this point, and I had a feeling you would be the one that could outline the right steps to take. I'm not going to do it. Huh? What do you mean? You just agreed with me. You've just told me everything I'm telling you is something you want to have done. Yes, Mike. But you know what? I'm retiring in two months. I'm not going to do it. There's no way I can implement your great idea. So I leave, and six months later, I get an audience with the new guy. 
Hi, I'm Michael Brockta. You might not know, but I ran a study for your predecessor. We were going to really shake this place up for the better. I said, tell me about it. Same story, give him the same story. Gives me the same response. Mike, this is absolutely the sort of thing I wanted to hear. This is absolutely the direction I think we need to take. Let's do it. The only thing that changed between the initial rejection and the final acceptance, the only thing that changed was I was talking to a different person who was at a different change readiness level. The new guy was brought in to make a change. I was serving him up exactly what he wanted to hear at exactly the right time. So, yeah, pick your business language and offer your information at the right moment in time. And so while we're here as well, we talked about how many high-powered people we had around us at this time in this audience. And we've got a gentleman by the name of John Stenbeck, the number one author of the Agile Almanac, and he's been a great friend to our show. He had a question for you, though. Of, of how did ethics and, and how did that blend of ethics and professionalism, how have you seen that change between the CIA, maybe through your professional career, or even into your volunteerism? It may surprise you and the audience to know that um, occasionally the CIA deals with ethical issues uh, for some reason. And uh, because that is a part of the culture there, dealing with ethical issues, there's a an opportunity to become sensitive to that uh, uh, subject, which I did. So I I was an early adopter of ethics uh, as a result. Along comes the the Project Management Institute, and and they make a discovery uh, midway through their growth cycle. They make a discovery that ethics needs to be part of the profession. So CIA stimulated my interest in ethics. PMI made the decision ethics are important. PMI made the decision to have a code of ethics and professional conduct, and so I decided this was a marriage made in heaven for me. So seven, eight years ago, when PMI reached out to me and said, Mike, would you join the ethics committee? I said, absolutely. Thank you very much. And later they said, would you chair the ethics committee? I said, this is going to be one of my best jobs ever. Here is why. Ethics leads to trust. You cannot have trust if there's not an ethical relationship going on. Stay with me now. Trust leads to leadership. You cannot have effective leadership without trust. Last step in the relationship. Leadership, you've already heard me say, leads to project success. You can't have a successful project without effective leadership. So here's the connecting of the dots. Ethics, trust, leadership, project success. An unbreakable linkage. Try as you might, you cannot break that bond. It doesn't work. So the more ethical I am and the more ethical I demonstrate I am to my followers the more trust they have in me. The more trust they have in me, the more likely they're going to follow my leadership direction. The more likely they follow my leadership direction, the more likely we're going to have a team-based project success. What a terrific recipe. 
these are dots that everyone in the audience can connect, and I suspect many already are connecting. And for the newer project managers that, that are in the room or listening as well, when we talk ethics, ethics comes down to the date is the date, the plan is the plan, the estimate is the estimate. So people that back in from the date board or publish a date that they themselves don't believe in, that has everything to do with ethics, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Uh, so since uh, I'm talking to an audience that uh, will have a fair number of PMI members, I know all of you have signed up and agreed to abide by the Code of Ethics and Professional Conduct, and I'm further convinced that you've all read the code. So I know that you know that the four values in the code include the value of honesty. We have all committed to be honest at all times and hold each other accountable for being honesty. So when we see examples where honesty is not being fully practiced, or we are pressured to, I don't know, give me the answer I want to hear instead of the answer we know is truthful, then I know, of course, we will pick the path that is the high road to truth and honesty, won't we? And I've met with many project managers throughout my career, and I mean, it comes down to trying, you know, you can't turn that project red. It's got to be green. Or No, if there is a definition for red, yellow, green, that's what I'm going to follow for red, yellow, green. If you, if you don't like it, then change the policy. You're not going to force me to say something that's incorrect. And a lot of people struggle with that management pressure. They struggle, but I think if they uh, think about uh, the long-term outcome and not the short-term result, they might struggle less. For example, what is success in your career as a project manager? Is success the immediate project at hand, or is success longer term? Does success involve a long-term string of projects? Well, I'm hoping for you the answer is the latter. I'm hoping you take the long view for success. If you do, then it becomes easier to speak truth to power, to tell the honest truth at all times, because you realize that serves you well over the long term. We couldn't agree more, and we certainly appreciate you sharing your expertise and, and your own honesty and ethics with us. Uh, I've actually been holding on to a question, and I'm going to still hold on to it because I think it's a fun one to, to come into in the next segment. So you're listening to the Work-Life Balance. Come back, hear some more of the Real Life Q. Michael Obraca. We'll be right back after this break. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage. Where applications aren't just part of your brand. They are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. 
This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back with our final segment today, the Work-Life Balance, live from El Paso, Texas. And uh, coming back, I teased this question going into the break, so now it's time to ask it. And I'm going to ask it in somewhat of a family feud style. So I'm kind of wanting to know, and when I say I, the audience is wanting to know, what's, you know, some of the, other than the obvious, let's stay away from the obvious, what's the top two or three places that you have designed to conceal some of your gadgets, Q? Yeah, it turns out that uh, gadgets uh, work best when they're concealed, when no one else knows uh, there's a gadget in play. And uh, there are lots of ways to conceal gadgets. I just want to talk about maybe a couple. Think about the following operation, right? James Bond, if you will, uh, sneaks into a place that he doesn't uh, belong, right? And he has a, an audio listening device, a bug, right? And it's a battery-powered bug that has an antenna and a microphone and a transmitter. And he wants to install that bug somewhere that's concealed. He, he wants to then leave the property without being caught, all right? And then he wants that transmitter to transmit important audio information to him or to others, all right? All right? If, if he was not effective in doing that and the, and the concealment was not good enough, then the bug will be found worse, right? Worse than the fact that the, the intelligence will stop once the bug is found. Worse, he will be compromised, right? And so we will lose an important agent. And we don't want to lose James Bond because I want to see yet another 007 movie. So concealments then can come in many, many forms. In the case of the story I just told, the concealment might include putting the listening device underneath a wooden desk. So then the concealment needs to look like a block of wood, doesn't it? Not just any wood, the same wood that the desk is made out of. How do you find out what that wood is? Okay? And the, the concealment has to be in place 
in a really short period of time. James Bond doesn't want to spend a lot of time in that room planting a bug. He needs to get out of there quickly. But we invented mechanically powered screws. Slap the device under the desk, press the button, it self-screws itself into the bottom of the desk. But wait, there's more. When he returns later, he presses the other button, it automatically unscrews itself from the bottom of the desk. How cool is that for a concealment? I can tell you my wife wants me to have that because anytime I do anything around the house, I could be fixing the garage and she'd have to call the plumber because somehow I broke the pipes by doing that. So let's talk about these gadgets for a minute or these concealments or these uh, audio listening devices. They're all powered by what, audience? They're powered by batteries, all right? I'm now going to tell you a battery project story. Every one of you in this room, I suspect, has a device in your pocket powered by a battery. What am I thinking about? Yeah, cell phone, of course, all right? In the early days, who do you think developed some of the leading technology that went into your cell phones. Right, CIA. Your cell phone is powered by a battery. What type of battery do you know? Lithium batteries. This story also takes place back in the early to mid-80s. The CIA needed batteries for these devices. And the batteries at the time only lasted but for so long. Well, see previous story, we don't want James Bond having to sneak back in to change batteries on a regular basis. This is a bad operational agenda. So we needed longer-lasting batteries. My buddy ran the battery program. He was a chemical engineer. He ran the battery program. He was developing long-lasting batteries, lithium batteries. Lithium batteries were developed back in the early 80s and the CIA was one of the leading developers. These were fantastic batteries. High energy density, long life, low weight. Perfect for CIA operations, and of course, perfect for your cell phones today. However, in the early days of most any technology, things don't always go according to plan. So we're testing batteries. We're fielding batteries, and batteries have a side effect we did not know about. And the side effect was lithium batteries at that time, since they were so powerful, had so much storage, would occasionally self-short. They would short themselves out. When they did that, they would heat up at such a rapid rate, they would explode. So now you're thinking, Mike, what's the problem with the CIA with exploding batteries? Why is that a problem for you? It turns out we'd much rather have explosions go off on an intended basis, not on an accidental basis. (laughs) And so obviously we could talk forever, but was there ever a time, and you continue to bring up James Bond, so I'm going to bring it up. Was there ever a time that you guys saw one of those movies and got inspired for a gadget? Yeah, James Bond. So I talk affectionately about that because it's an easy way for me to talk to audiences about some of the work that went on in the CIA. All right? 
However, there's a negative side to the James Bond story. Rick, you just asked me about the dark side. So I'd go home for the weekend, and it was one of those weekends where they released a new James Bond movie. They were popular then just as they are now. And I'm not making this stuff up. I would come to work on a Monday morning after the new movie had come out, and my phone would be ringing off the hook. That's right. Chuckle, chuckle. The James Bond or the agents or the operatives employed at the CIA were calling Q to say, hey, James Bond movie came out. I want one of those. (laughs) Okay. The rest of the conversation went something along the lines of the following. I hear you, man, but I want you to know that what you just saw over the weekend defied the laws of physics. In which case, the conversation went something like, so? (laughs) It was a horrible job to then reset customer expectations. Thank you, James Bond, for making life a living hell on every Monday after your new movie came out. So, Michael, we've got about two minutes to close, but... Obviously, you're very entertaining as a speaker. Tons of knowledge. How could people get in touch with you? How, they, how can they bring the, you into their organization? Yeah, at this point in my career, uh, my favorite thing to do is spend time with people, either in settings like this where there's a big audience or one-on-one settings where I can share with them some of the uh, techniques and knowledge that I've gained over the years. I mean, I've got 40 years of doing project management stuff. And so they can just go to the website I run. I'm now a consultant. I run a small business. Um, I'm very selective about who I work for. So uh, if I get to know you and you get to know me and we want to do some business together, then we can do that. Uh, com. Z-O-Z-E-R-I-N-C.com. And by the way... Zosier's the name of the first recorded use of project management in history, and that's how I feel about the subject. I feel I've got almost as much experience as that. I'm going to leave you with what I I just finished doing a a television show, as you know, and um, uh, so that's going to be coming out June 15th uh, called Moving America Forward. (laughs) What you just did just reminded me that even Doug Llewellyn looked directly at me and said, Nobody uses www anymore, so you can just go to zosher.com and find Michael to, uh, to uh, book him. Listen, we've had a fantastic time. Again, we're going to give one more round of applause from the audience in El Paso, Texas. Let them hear you. We've had a great time here in El Paso, Texas. Tune in next week, same time, same channel. We'll talk to you at the Work-Life Balance. You've been listening to Rick Morris. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.